Okay, we're going to be looking at Colossians, book of Colossians, chapter 3. If, if, this is, if, you're, if you're visiting today and this is your first time in a church and you're not used to looking at a Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers and the verse numbers are the little numbers, and I'll refer to chapter 3 of Colossians. Go to the table of contents, find Colossians, it's in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 1. And you know what, Joel? I don't have a Bible. Can I take yours? You know, it's funny. Thank you. Perfect. I was going to start by talking about do-overs. I need a do-over to this sermon because I didn't have my Bible. You guys know what do-overs are, right? Like you do something, you make a mistake, and you're like, can I start again? So, any of you guys play piano? or some instrument, you're, you're playing a piece, maybe for a recital, you make a mistake, you, you want to start over, right? Or, or you think of golf, you go out, you hit it, goes off into the rough, you're like, I want a do-over. There's, there's even a name for that in golf. Anybody know what it is? Mulligan. I want a mulligan. I want a do-over. How about a mulligan, a do-over on your whole life. What do you think? Well, this morning, I want you to start by thinking about your baptism. Because that's what your baptism signifies, points to. Now, if, if you're showing up in a Christian for, church for the first time and you see a baptism, it's it's kind of a weird thing. Have you ever thought about it? So here you are in front of a crowd of people. This, this preacher guy puts a person underwater and then brings them back up. What's that? I want you to think about it for a second. What, what, is, what, is it, what does that represent? A death. A strangling. A drowning, can't breathe, death. But then, a raising up, eyes open, breasts, or lungs fill with breath again. It's remarkable, isn't it? And what Christianity does is it comes along and says, you need this, and you need this. And that's right where Paul starts in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be referring to the text over and over this morning, so just keep it open on your laps. We're going to be looking at it again and again, as I say. There's so much here. I wish I could like unpack every verse. It's beautiful, all right? But we're, just, we're gonna walk our way slowly through these verses. What you had is a bunch of false teachers coming and kind of descending on the Colossian church and these false teachers are saying, hey, yeah, Christ is good. Christ is good, but you know what else? You also need these things. And Paul's like, no. He's supreme over everything. You don't, you don't need these things. These other philosophies, these other ideas. He, you need him. And a life utterly identified with him. And again, that's, that's where Paul starts. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not, not on things that are on earth, for you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked... And you were living in them, 
But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has complained against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If you're here this morning as a non-Christian, you don't understand yourself to be a Christian you can listen and hear what the Christian life is and, and what it looks like, what it should like. If you're here this morning as a Christian and as a member of the church, here are four lessons that Paul has for us, four lessons. First, you have died and been raised with Christ. Point two, therefore, seek the things that are above. Point three, therefore, put off the old man. Point four, therefore, put on the new man. You've died and been raised with Christ. Therefore, seek the things that are above. Therefore, put off the old man. Therefore, put on the new man. Okay? Our four points. Uh, We begin with first, the first one. We begin with his first lesson. A reminder, you've died and been raised with Christ. Look back at chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, he's already been talking in this vein. If you've died with Christ, he says there, and look at chapter 3, verse 1, he picks it up. If you've been raised with Christ. And look at verses 3 and 4 of our chapter. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. What What does Paul mean here? quite simply. Well, it means we have been united with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and all the benefits of that death and resurrection. We're we're united to him. So everything that is his is now ours, and what was ours is now his. We've been united with him in this burial and resurrection. And that's what our baptism uh, represents. In his death, of course, he pays the penalty for sin. And in his resurrection, he declares victory over sin and death. When I got married to my wife, Shannon, I had a whole lot of student loans. And she had a Honda Civic. And when we got married, my student loans became hers, and her Honda Civic became mine. See, that's, that's the beautiful exchange of, of a wedding vow, right? When I died with Christ, all the debt that was mine became his, and all the assets that are his, righteousness, became mine. If you've died with Christ, saints, what's he wanting you to recall? He's wanting you to recall the gospel, right? 
He's starting right there. I want you guys to remember what your burial and resurrection and baptism represents. This, this, this covenantal union that you have with God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, the Son of God on earth, Jesus Christ. Remember your union with Him. All that was yours is His. And all that was His is yours. You got it? We now belong, saints, to a whole new reality. A whole new reality. Everything has changed for us. When I married Shannon, everything changed. My life was different. Even more so is the union that we possess in the gospel with Christ. You now have the forgiveness of God. You didn't before. You now have the promise of eternity. You didn't before. You now have the gift of the Spirit indwelling you. You didn't before. You now have hope, faith, love, you didn't before. Not, not God's. Maybe some other version. Yeah. Not His. Yeah. Friends, remember your baptism. Remember the drowning. Remember the death. Do, do, do you remember the old you before Christianity? Okay, that person drowned. Dead. Remember that baptism. And then remember the raising up, the eyes open, the new breath in the lung, the new life. I said it's a do-over on a whole life, but it's, it's not a typical do-over, is it? When, when you're playing that piano piece and you make a mistake and you say, okay, l- l- let me start again, or, or you're starting a sermon and you realize I don't even have a Bible, it's still the same sermon I was going to preach. It's still the same piano piece that you're going to play. In golf, it's, you're still going down the same fairway. It's not like that with Christianity. Because you are, the old man is being put off. Who is that old man? Adam. And a new man is putting up, being put on. Who is that new man? Christ. So it's like, okay, do over time. Here's a whole new piano piece. And I got new fingers for you. I know how to play. It's like, not that fairway, the opposite direction that fair way. And I got you new skills and a new club. Right? So we're putting off the old man. It's a do-over, but it's, when you come up, it's altogether different now. It's a new life. Here's something else about this life. Look at verse 3. It's hidden. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. I looked that up in the Greek just to make sure I understood what the word really means. The word hidden there means, in in, in the original Greek, actually means hidden. All right? You can't see it. But look at verse 4 and the promise there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our life in Christ, in God, is now hidden. One day it will be revealed. It, we will appear with him in glory. And brothers and sisters, I hope this is an encouragement to you to think about this. If, if I go to the doctor and I've got problems with, like with a shoulder or something, and I, he says, okay, take this medication. I take the medication. I go home. And he, but he warns me. He says, listen, this medication is going to make your stomach a little upset. Okay, don't be surprised when your stomach is upset. So when I go home and I take the medication for my shoulder and my stomach is upset, am I surprised? Well, no. In fact, I'm slightly comforted. Okay, this, this is just part of the process, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. My stomach, he says it's going to hurt, it's hurting. Okay. It should be a comfort to us that the Word of God has said, okay, things are hidden now. You're going to struggle with doubt. Don't be surprised you're going to receive the laughter and the scoffing of your old friends. 
don't, don't be surprised. You're going to stumble. Don't be surprised. People are going to make fun of you. Don't be surprised. Trials and doubts will continue. Don't be surprised. This, this is part of the process. Joel was talking about this a few minutes ago, right? But we will tell the story one day. Right now we're going through the story, okay? We will tell it. We will appear with him in glory. His glory in us will be revealed. Our vindication will come. We're not vindicated yet. We're still walking by faith. This is part of the process. Don't be surprised, okay? It's going it's to hurt a little bit. It's okay. Now, in the rest of the sermon, we're going to be talking about seeking things above. We're going to talk about putting things off, putting things on. But, friends, if, if, you don't, if you don't get this first point, none of that is worth very much. Apart from this first point, all that is moralism, Phariseeism, do-goodism. Okay? If you're here, again, as a non-Christian, your friend brought you, what I don't want you to do is listen to the rest of the sermon and think, okay, Christianity is like doing all this stuff, putting off that stuff that I kind of like and putting on that stuff that I kind of don't like. And if I do all that stuff, then I'll be okay with God. No, that's, that's not the message you're to hear from us this morning. The most important thing, my non-Christian friend, you can hear from us this morning is that we as Christians understand ourselves to be sinners. We understand ourselves to be under God's wrath. We understand, in fact, here's, people say Christianity is offensive. Here's something really offensive. We actually think you and I are so bad that we should be punished for our sins eternally. Or a substitute can come and stand in our place who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he went to the, lived the life that we, we should have lived but didn't, went to the cross, died the death that we should die, and was raised again so that all who repent and believe and put their trust in him will have life eternal. That's, that's the wedding. In that burial and resurrection of my non-Christian friend, if, if, if you're hearing this for the first time, it's not the things we do, it's what Christ have done. You'll hear Christians say that all the time. It's not what we do, it's Christ. It's what Christ has done. Remember that, okay? If you have more questions about that, talk to Joel or Montreal or the Christian friend who brought you or me afterwards, all right? That's the most important thing you can hear. A Christian, that's what I'm saying to the non-Christian. What am I saying to the Christian? Christian, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in holiness and grace? Uh, elders or would-be elders, do you want to know how to help other saints? grow. Parents, do you want to know how your, your kids will grow? It's not by just saying, do this, do this, do that. Rather, it's by pointing people again and again to that burial and that resurrection in Christ. It's pointing them to the gospel. Where did I begin? I began with remember your baptism, Christian. Okay? You want to you wanna grow in Christ today? We'll start today by remembering your baptism, remembering your union. Okay? Point two. You've been buried and raised. Point two. Therefore, seek the things that are above. Therefore, seek the things that are above. Verse one. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. Okay, to seek the things above, what, what, what does that mean? What, what's that all about? Well, it means valuing things in this world like God values them. Here, here's what the fallen world is. The fallen world is like a, a store in which all the right, wrong price tags have been placed on everything. The cheap things have a price tag that says expensive. The expensive things have a price tag that says cheap. And becoming a Christian means you're given a book. And this book 
has all the right prices. The cheap is cheap. The expenses, expensive is expensive. Before, a man would spend his entire life to buy this world. But now, he knows that it profits a man nothing to gain the world and yet forfeit his soul. Before, a woman would run around her day seeing, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But now she knows the most important thing is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before you did everything for yourself in your fame and your reputation and your comfort and your ease. Now, look down at verse 17. Now, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything takes on a different price tag, a different value. What was important before is not so important now and vice versa. And the question, brothers and sisters, each one of you need to ask is, are the price tags that I put on things just these last seven days since I was here, are the price tags I put on things the right price tags, the price tag I put on family, on job, on my friends and their needs, on my spouse's needs, on the opinions of others, on my relationships at church, on my ambitions, on all my stuff. Did I have God's price tags on those things or did I have my old price tags on all of those things? That's the question. And whether or not is demonstrated by what we put off and what we put on. Point three. Point three of the sermon. Point one, remember, you have died and been raised with Christ. Point three, therefore put off the old man. Therefore put off the old man. Look at verse five again. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And as I said before, you see in verse 9 there, it says self. The ESV, at least what I'm using, the ESV says self. The original Greek has man. It's, it's an allusion to Adam. Put off the old representative, Adam. Put on the new representative, Christ, the new man. That's why I keep using that language. And Paul tells us to put off the old... <clears throat> Put off the person of earthly creation like Adam with three clumps of commands, okay? Three clumps of commands. Now, as you're reading through this, all of you are thinking, okay, I really want you to explain this verse. I, again, I wish, or that word, I wish I could. I wish I had time to explain it all. I'm just going to highlight a few things. Three clumps. You see it in three clumps. Clump one, verse five. Sexual immorality and impurity. What's that? Well, that refers to any actions or thoughts or wants outside of what God has commanded and intended for a man and a woman in marriage. Actions like fornication, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, but also our thoughts, lust, envy, fantasizing. We all know what these struggles are in one form or another. You might have this struggle, I might have that struggle. We all have them. Put them off. The next verse, the verse next rather, mentions passions and evil desire. The desire for anything other than how God intends. And those passions can control us. Have the wrong price tags. And then notice there, Paul tops off the list with covetousness which he says is basically idolatry. Why is covetousness, I really want that. Can't believe he has that. I, I, I should have that. Can't believe she has. I want that. Paul's like, idolatry. Why is that 
idolatry. Well, a non-idolatrous heart is content with whatever the Lord has given. God, I trust you. And you're the one I really want. I want you more than anything. And you've given me these things. I kind of wish I had more of this or more of that, okay. But it's you I want. It'd be helpful to have a little more of these. But it's you I want, Lord. Okay, well, it's when those, I need more of this. I need more of these. What are we saying? It's not you I really want. Do you see? That covetousness is idolatry. God's not what I want. Stuff, people, her, him, that. That's what I want. And because of all such sin, Paul says, look at verse 8 very clearly, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming because we look at pornography on the internet. The wrath of God is coming because we get more excited about an afternoon at the shopping mall than a Sunday morning at church. The wrath of God is coming because we compare our husbands to other men or our wives to other women. The wrath of God is coming because we'd rather spend money on ourselves than anything else or anyone else. The wrath of God is coming because we know the right thing to do in a moment of temptation. We know what we should do. But we say to ourselves, God understands. He's reasonable. He knows I need this. The wrath of God is coming because we know the things that we should do but fail to do them. I'm called to love right now. I just don't have it in me to love. The person's driving me crazy. Can't love him, can't love her. The wrath of God is coming. So Paul says. Really practical advice that's been helpful for me in putting off the old man. <clears throat> I use two words in my head when I'm tempted to do something or want something that I shouldn't do or want or I'm tempted not to do something that I know I should do. Two words, or three words. Three words in my head when I'm tempted to do something or look in a direction I shouldn't look, I just think, don't feed it. Don't feed it. Just practically, that, that's what I do with myself. I'm, I'm tempted to look, don't feed it. Because you know when you do feed sin, you know what happens? Does it get satisfied? Or do you get more hungry? The appetite grows. It always does. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what your particular temptation is, but remember your baptism. Remember who you are. Remember the penalty's been paid. Remember that you've been raised with Christ and then don't feed it. Not going to feed it. I'm a new man. I'm not playing the same piece of music. I'm not hitting this way. I'm hitting that way. It's a new reality I'm a participant in. It's hidden now. It's going to be revealed. Don't feed it. Okay? Just very practically, that's how I fight sin. Both what I shouldn't do and what I should do. There's a second clump of commands in verse 8. Look there, throw off these things. It says throw off anger and wrath. What, what, what are anger and wrath? Well, anger is a God-given emotion to destroy. Something should be destroyed. Injustice should be destroyed. Wrongdoing should be destroyed. Anger is, I oppose that. That's wrong. Right? God's anger, God's wrath is perfectly fine-tuned, perfectly calibrated. Our anger, our wrath, not. We know that. So we take this emotion, this God-given emotion on, but we take it on for our selfish, prideful, idolatrous purposes to, what did I say anger does? Destroys. Get angry at your spouse. What are you doing? You're destroying something. You get angry at your kids. What are you doing? You're destroying something. 
You really want to take that weapon into your hands? Or do you want to leave it to the Lord? Put off anger. Put off wrath, he says. And then he mentions malice and slander. What does that mean? That means pursuing someone's harm in word or deed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not pursue your fellow Christian's harm in word or deed, letting that little comment slip. Oh, did you notice that she... uh, I, I've, I, always, I always notice how he does this. Have you, have you ever noticed how he does that? What are you doing? Very subtly, you're trying to tear them down. Put that off, says Paul. And then he mentions obscene talk from the mouth. How pure is your mouth? Do you use your mouth to tear down? Do you use your mouth to tear up? Do you use your mouth to win approval? Hey, I'm cool like you guys. I can talk that way. Or do you use your mouth to say, hey, I'm with Jesus? Christians often talk about Christian freedom. It's like, hey, we're free in Christ to do that. Well, actually, you know what your freedom in Christ is to do? Your freedom in Christ, you've been given freedom in Christ to uh, forbear with others who you know will stumble. Freedom in Christ creates a space so that you don't pass judgment on others. So as they do what you do, you're, you're acknowledging, well, I'm, I'm not going to pass judgment on them. I'm going to allow a little bit of freedom there. Freedom in Christ is not freedom just to do what I want. Freedom in Christ is given so to be gracious. That's the purpose. So we're putting off obscene talk. We're looking instead to be gracious. And then there's third, this third clump, really it's just one command, verse 9, do not lie to one another. Uh, that seems to be a natural extension of uh, sins of the mouth, like slander, obscene language. And notice all these sins mentioned in verses 8 and 9 are fellowship breakers. But then life raised with Christ, Paul is discovering, is, is lived through fellowship. In verses 9 to 11, Paul returns to the foundation of all. He said we should follow those, these commands because we've put off the old self, the old man. We've put on the new self, the new man. We've put on Christ. And our new self is being renewed through knowledge after the image of its creator. I love that phrase, being renewed through knowledge after the image of the creator. Think about all the ambitions that you and I walk in here with. Think about all the ambitions that the world has for money, for fame, for sex, for a restful afternoon. Not a bad thing. But what about this ambition? I want Jonathan Lehman, I want Garden Church to be renewed after the image of the Creator. What is God like? I want you to be renewed after the image of Him. I want me to be renewed after the image of Him. What will that look like? That's glorious, saints. In verse 11, we have this picture of what fellowship of these new cells looks like. There's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, which was kind of the lowest form of barbarian, slave, free. How does this world divide us, saints? Ethnicity? Class, education, religious ritual, sophistication, being in the know, not being in the know. And the gospel comes and it knocks down these fences. It says, you're united. The most important thing about you is not what your name is, what your father's name is, what your skin color is, what your gender is, what your class is, whether or not you've been to college, whether or not you buy at these stores or those stores. Now these are still realities in this world. We know that. The gospel does not deny this. But what happens is, is we come before the throne of King Jesus and we say, Jesus, what would you have me do with these different things? Let me use myself as an example. I come before as a Christian, I've been, I've been buried with Christ, I've been raised with Christ, and now I go before Christ and I say, okay, I'm Jonathan, what would you have me do with all the gifts and talents and 
temptations you have for me. Okay, I'm son of a Lehman. With all those advantages and disadvantages, what would you have me do with that King Jesus? Okay, I'm a male. Lord Jesus, what, what do you intend men to be, males to be? Help define it for me and let me use my maleness for the glory of you and the good of others. Okay, I have white skin. And in this country, having white skin means this. Lord Jesus, how would you have me use the, the, the advantages and the privileges that come with having white skin for your glory and the good of others? Show me how, Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, I have a college education. Okay, I'm, I, I'm middle class. How would you have me use those things, Lord Jesus, for your good? So those things are all still real. But we're letting Jesus say what we do with them, whatever they are. Do you see? And because we're one in the gospel, that means we love each other. Some have these advantages, some have those disadvantages, these other skills, these opportunities, this member of the body Christ, that member of the body Christ. We, we mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We work together. We're one. We're caring for each other. Taking account of the realities as this fallen world presents them and inflicts them, right? And as God created them in the diverse beauty and glory. But we're saying in all of it, okay, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do with them? I've been buried with you, and I've been raised with you. Tell me what to do. And we are one together in that, right? That brings us clearly to our fourth and final point. You've been buried and raised with Christ, therefore seek the things above. Therefore put off the old man. Point four, therefore put on the new man. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Christian friends, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What does God the Father say to the Son in his baptism? What's the word he used? Beloved. This is my beloved son. What are we now? Beloved. We're united to him. What was his is now ours. Holy and beloved. Put on these things. Compassion. Do I need to tell you what compassion is? Put on compassion. Your kids are fussing. Your spouse is sinning against you. Why is she doing that again? Put on compassion. I can't. I know, I can't either. But you've been buried, you've been raised. You have a spirit. Put on kindness. God's holy, beloved people are called to kindness. Do you strategize to be kind to other people? How much time... Yesterday, did you spend thinking, okay, how can I be kind to people at church? Put on, saints, kindness. What about humility? Putting the interests of others ahead of your own. What about meekness? How we considerate of others. Waving our rights, not forcing our own opinion, our own way. You, you, you tell me what you think. You, you tell me where you'd like to go to dinner and patience. Is Garden Church marked by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience? Is your home? Are you? What kind of price tags do you put on compassion, kindness, meekness? Do you put the expensive price tags on those things or the, nah, 50 cents, maybe a dollar. You can tell in part because verse 13, look at verse 13, we bear with one another amidst the ups and downs. We also forgive one another. Look at it, it says, if any has a complaint against another, 
And the wording is slightly stronger in the original. It says, if anyone toward anyone has a complaint. Raise your hand if you're part of anyone. That's all of us. If anyone toward anyone has a complaint. Well, Jonathan, you don't understand my situation. If anyone toward anyone. And we do this just as Christ forgave us. Paul can't stay away from the gospel, can he? He keeps coming back to it. Now, I'll be honest, one of the places I struggle with this most is in my marriage. I remember when, uh, this is a decade ago now, when I was first becoming an elder at my church, or I was, I was cons- being considered for being an elder, one of the fellow elders took me out for, for lunch, and he said, Jonathan, what would you say your number one sin struggle is? Okay, <laughs> let me think about that. And honestly, I didn't have to think about it for long. I knew the answer right away. It's my sinful, impatient, angry response when my wife sins against me. I get real self-righteous. I tell myself, I I wouldn't do that. I I don't talk that way. I'm self-controlled. What are you doing that for? I can't believe you're doing that. And I start to become pharisaical. I become self-righteous. How anti-gospel is that? It's like opposite of what the gospel is. And that's not like one of those like really obvious like read about it in the newspaper sins. But it's just as damning. It's just as horrendous. It's just as completely contrary to everything I am preaching to you this morning. Self-righteousness. I don't do that. How can you do that? Have you considered the speck in your eye? What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love, we read here, In verses 12 to 14, love is compassion. Love is humble. Love is meek. It has a completely different set of price tags. Love is overlooking the less than perfect tone from your spouse or friend or colleague. Love is taking time with someone. Love is involvement, engagement. Love is climbing inside the shoes of somebody else and considering what it's like to be them and not just thinking everything from your own perspective. Love is asking questions. Love is learning the likes of and the dislikes of someone else. Love is forgetting self and being genuinely interested in them and their welfare. Love is honoring. Love is overlooking a fault. Love always hopes. She is never going to get better. He is never going to get over this. You can't ask me to keep spending time with... Love always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. And love is doing all of these things without demanding they do it back. Uh, In a lecture on 1 Corinthians 13, Henry Drummond said, you will find if you think for a moment that the people who influence you are people who believe in you. In an atmosphere of suspicion, men shrivel up. But in, in an atmosphere of love, they expand and find encouragement and educated fellowship. And friends, just think of the people who you know who have loved you. Aren't those the people that you trust, that you listen to, that you learn from, that you follow? You want people to learn from you and to follow you? Your children, your spouse, your friends, those you're discipling? Try loving them. Really loving them. How much time are we at? I feel like I've been talking for a while. A song I like a lot. All right. This is a, this, anybody here listen to Rich Mullins? Nobody. <laughs> You've heard of him. He died a number of a decade or two ago. I, 80s and 90s, I listened to him a lot. He, he's got this great, 
great song. He's, he's singing it on behalf of a parent for a child. He says, Aiden, the day, the day will come when me and your mom and all the love we have can only take you so far. As far as we can, but you'll need something more to guide your heart as you grow into a man, okay? I've done the best I could. You're going to need something more. Here's what he says. This is the chorus. He says, let mercy lead. Let love be the strength in your legs. And in every footprint that you leave, there'll be a drop of grace. If we can reach beyond the wisdom of this age into the foolishness of God, that foolishness will save those who believe. Although their foolish hearts may break, they will find peace. And I'll meet you in that place where mercy leads. Son, daughter, let mercy lead. It's foolishness to this world. But it's the foolishness of God that you've known and experienced in such mercy. Now let mercy lead in your own steps. Parents, make sure you're shepherding your children that way. In verses 15 to 17, Paul gives several more specific ways to put on the new man. First, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts and rule in your lives because you were called to be one body. God's law stood against us, condemning us, but Christ took our penalty so that we have peace. We're to let that peace rule. We no longer need to condemn others. If you're still condemning others, you are not at peace with God. If you are still condemning others, you are not at peace with God. Are you condemning others? Is your heart condemning of others? And be thankful, he says at the end of verse 15, how continual thankfulness will characterize a Christian's heart and mind. He says it two more times. Look at verse 16. Sing with thankfulness. Look at verse 17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving Thanks to God the Father through him. Something I've noticed about mature Christians is that they are usually quick to give thanks. Give thanks for the big things. Give thanks for the small things. They don't feel entitled to this or that. They're, oh, thank you. Thank you. I, thank you. They're just quick to say that. Uh, a friend of mine, he knows he's not thankful. He knows, I think he's not, he thinks, I think he knows he's not very mature. And so what he's trying to do with his wife at the end of every day He's sitting down with his wife and saying, honey, let's name three things we're thankful for. He's just practicing that. And it's just like, we, thank you, God, it was sunny out. It's not going to be something big and dramatic. We're just going to practice being thankful. With your spouse or with your friends or your roommate today, at the end of the day, name three things. Tomorrow, try it again. What are you thankful for? The Christian heart is thankful, Right? So Paul commands to let the peace of Christ rule. He commands us to be thankful. Then verse 17, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Does that mean memorizing the Bible? Well, that's a clear implication. But the first application here is to the church. He, the word dwell there, let the word of Christ dwell, literally means make a house. Let the word of God make a house in you. How? Through your singing. We've done that this morning. Praise God. Now as you go, let those, let those songs continue to make a, a house in your own hearts towards one another. Finally, Paul says in verse 17, summing, summarizing for us the, the, the new man that we're to put on, whatever you do in word or deed, do it for the name of the Lord Jesus. We do it for his glory. Our whole lives as Christians are to be performed for his glory. My Christian brother and sister in Christ, you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, therefore seek the things that are above, therefore put off the old man, therefore put on the new man. This world is passing. Last quote. Shakespeare, Tempest, he says, and like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself. Yea, all which shall inherit shall dissolve. And like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a wreck behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on. And our little life is rounded 
with a sleep. That's this world. The great globe itself shall dissolve. It's a pageant. It'll fade. Wake up. The dream is over. Such is our life in this world. If you are here this morning as a non-Christian, what do you think all of your investment into the things of this world is purchasing you? Think of the stock market. And Christian, this world is passing. It's heading towards an eternal death. And once again, this morning, right now, God is saying to you, where are you looking for life? Where do you think you will find life? Look to your baptism. What does it mean? Look at verse 3 one last time. For, Christian, you have died. Your life is hidden, hidden, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we confess we're, we're, we're short on faith, we're weak on faith. And you, you encourage us in your word that, yes, the glory that we will receive, the hope that is stored up for us in heaven is hidden. But it will be revealed. And Christ will be revealed. And our vindication will come. And we will participate in and enjoy your glory face to face. And we look forward to that day and pray that you would sustain us to that day. And in the meantime, Lord, we pray that you would help us to seek the things that are above by putting off the old and putting on the new. In Christ's name, amen.